verses 6 through 13 this morning. That's on page uh, 733. Also, like to congratulate a couple ladies in our church who've uh, completed a big challenge. Uh, you may remember way, way back when we started the Isaiah series. I know it feels like we've been here forever now, doesn't it? But there was a start point, and at that time I challenged people to memorize roughly about seven chapters of Isaiah, which uh, it's, it's, Hebrew poetry is not the easiest stuff to memorize. And I know there's at least two ladies who have done all seven chapters, uh, Rindy Bennett and Janet Ells, who are both here. So if you guys just stick your hand up in the air and wave, you know, be like, yeah, hey, I did it. There's one, there's another one. Let's give them a hand, huh? That's pretty cool. Commit all that to, to memory. All right, Isaiah chapter 55. And we're going to study verses 6 to 13, backtracking a little bit, but I just couldn't leave these verses behind. It says in Isaiah 55, 6 to 13, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Uh, verse 6 is the main point of this passage. If you want to take a pencil out, underline verse 6 and write in the margin, main point. It's the kind of thing I like to do in my Bible. You should mark up your Bibles, you should jot notes in your Bibles. That's what they're there for, to, to read and to think. And let me just read verse 6 again. This is the main point. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. I love that phrase. Seek the Lord. I mean, the word seek is such a, an active word. Uh, to seek God is a very robust, intentional, purposeful kind of thing. It, it implies um, going on a quest going on an adventure, looking for something intentionally, pushing aside anything else that would get in your way because you're, you're seeking after the Lord. Uh, when, I thought of, when I was thinking about this concept of seeking, what came to my mind, probably came to yours too, was one of my favorite actors, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the, the governator, yes. Um, and probably uh, one of his greatest... I mean, he had so many great movies, let's be honest. But, but I think... <laughs> One of his greatest films had to be Terminator 2. I mean, can't we say? I mean, maybe second only to The Running Man, but a close second. Uh, Terminator 2 was, was a great movie. For those of you lowbrow types who don't know the Terminator series, um, 1, 2, and 3, uh, 
Terminator 2 is Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a robot from the future who is sent back in time in order with a mission to protect a boy named John Connor. And the reason is because John Connor is going to grow up and in the post-apocalyptic future of, of the world, he's going to become the leader of the humans who fight against the machines who've taken over the world. So, the, so in the future, they, the humans capture this Arnold Schwarzenegger, they reprogram, send him back to protect John Connor because the robots in the future are sending back a robot to kill John Connor. So, you know, your typical storyline. So... Um, <laughs> It's, it's this great movie about these two robots who are coming after this little kid, one to save him and one to, to assassinate him. And, and it's just fun to watch these, these machines that look like human beings smash through walls and drive semi-tractor trailer trucks off bridges and, you know, just destroy whatever they have to do to get this kid. Like, nothing will stand in their way. They're even willing to die and to be destroyed themselves in order to accomplish that which they seek. The, the saving or the, the killing, as the case may be, of this, this kid. And I thought of that, that kind of Terminator-like mentality here. Seek the Lord. You know, there's this, this kind of almost aggressiveness to it. Pushing aside everything that would get in our way as God calls us to seek Him relentlessly and, and eternally. This, this uh, committed, intense, intentional seeking after God. The reality is we're all seeking something all the time. Human beings are, are seeking machines. We are seekers by nature. The, the human soul is a, an inexhaustible wellspring of desires and longings. We're always longing after something, looking for something, yearning for something. I mean, even right now, as, as you sit there and I stand up here and talk, we probably all have some subroutines like, you know, the Terminator, some program that's running somewhere in our minds of something we want. Maybe it's something we've been thinking about all week. Maybe we're already kind of, there's a part of us that's making a plan. Okay, once the service is over, get to grab a quick brunch, then I get to the mall because I want to get what I've been thinking about all week. Some gadget or some clothes. Or maybe there's some, some person that, we, that we'd like to get to know. Or maybe there's some vengeance we'd like to take. You know, whatever it is, there's always something. Maybe it's lunch. Maybe it's that simple. But, but there's always <laughs> a part of us that's, you know, constantly processing what this thing is that we desire. And so God is saying, seek the Lord. Let that be the, the fundamental baseline subroutine that's driving our existence as human beings. Seek the Lord. And I love the fact that it says, seek the Lord, not... Seek something from the Lord. Because we all know how to ramp up religion and ramp up faith whenever we're in a time of crisis. Whenever we're in, I mean, I do it too. You get in a tight spot and suddenly you get real spiritual, you know. Lord, heal me. Lord, I can't make this mortgage payment. You've got to do it. And, uh, you know, it's fine to ask those things of God. In fact, He invites us to. He taught us to in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So we're supposed to ask Him for our, our needs and for our, our bodies and our physical necessities. But, but God is more than just a vending machine. God is more than just a social service program. He is, he is it. He is that which we are supposed to seek. So it's not just seek something from Him. It's seek Him. Yearn for Him. Desire to know Him and to love Him and to be close to Him. God is inviting us Actually, he's commanding us, seek me, seek the Lord. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 17. 
Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What, what a beautiful picture that is of what eternal life means. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Yeah, that's what heaven is. We wonder, what's going to go on in heaven? Is it going to be you know, sitting on the clouds, strumming the harp? You know, what is heaven? What am I going to do there? Kids ask. Is heaven going to be boring? It's not going to be boring. It's going to be the greatest thing you can ever possibly imagine. It's going to be knowing the Father and knowing the Son and, and forever adventuring deeper and deeper into the knowledge of the glorious God who created all things. But if, while we're here on planet Earth, we never seek the Lord and we never seek to know Christ, then why do we think that when we get to heaven we're going to have anything to do with what's going on there? Because that's what it's all about. And so God calls us to this relentless, passionate pursuit of Him to seek the Lord. What am I seeking this morning? What are you seeking? What's, what's the subroutine that's playing in your CPU? What is it that we're really longing for deep in our souls? I know it's a lot of things. We're complex beings. But underneath it all, do I desire God above all else? Or has my desires for God sort of ebbed low? Well, then in verse 7, Isaiah tells us what it looks like to seek the Lord. Uh, he, he describes for us what seeking the Lord involves. And as we see in verse 7, it involves two distinct actions which are always united. Two sides of the same coin. Let me just read verse 7, and you can see these two things you're supposed to do when you seek the Lord. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to seek the Lord is to forsake wicked ways and evil thoughts. So, so the first thing is, is kind of like what we talked about if you are here last Sunday, this idea of, of repentance, of, of vomiting out evil, of, of rejecting evil, confession of sin, saying, God, my ways are wicked, my actions and my thoughts, the things that are going on inside my head, the outward and the inward. I look at it and I don't see that I measure up God. And so to seek God, the first thing we have to do is to stop seeking the things that have led us away from God. And I know this is always tough to preach about. It's tough to hear. You know, it's like, God, you know, all this stuff about sin. I mean, am I really that bad? You know, and it's certainly, do I, am I like a wicked person or an evil person as a 7 verse 7? I don't know, when's the last time you, you thought of yourself as an evil person? We just don't. We don't think of ourselves. Maybe some of us do. Most of us don't think of ourselves that way. You know, wicked, I think of like Wizard of Oz, Wicked Witch of the East. <laughs> you know, that, that lady. And I'm like, well, that's not me. But, um, but from God's perspective, I truly am a sinful wicked, evil person. I mean, look at verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, when Christians quote these verses, they very often misquote them. People typically quote these verses, God's thoughts are higher than ours, and they say, you know, God's ways are mysterious, we cannot understand Him, He has great wisdom. Which is true, but that's not what this verse is teaching. As, you'll see, as you can see in context, the whole point of the, the ways of God and, and the thoughts of God versus ours in the context of verse 7 is talking about the moral distance. In other words, his ways and his thoughts 
are higher than ours, morally and purely speaking, and ours are, are sort of base and sinful and corrupt. That, that's the point. In other words, like, it's like we studied last week, if you were here. There's this great moral transcendence of God over us, so that His character is holy and ours, ours is sinful. And so if I'm going to find God, if I'm going to seek God, the first step is that painful step of forsaking both evil ways and evil thoughts. I have to look at my life and say, am I, am I doing things? Do I have evil ways that are displeasing to God? Uh, you know, am I, am I an angry person? Do I blow up at people and scream at people and cuss people out and you know, lose my temper inordinately at, at people? Uh, do, do I um, criticize people? Am, am I tearing people down all the time? Do the words I use behind people's backs stir up divisions between people? Do, do I lie? Do I... You, you know, am I promiscuous? We can just go on down the line. There's so many things that we do that are sinful ways. And if we want to seek God, we've got to abandon them. We have to forsake them and confess them to the Lord. But it's not just our ways. And I think this is where it really gets pointed, for me anyway. It's also our thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. And I think that's so important because whenever we talk about sin, if we talk about it at all, the focus tends to be on outward actions as sin. You know, like, well, I'm, I'm a good person because I've never murdered anybody. I haven't done that outward action. But, you know, when the Bible talks about sin, it, it so often talks about the heart, the inner person. You know, sin is not just something out here that I do. It's something in here that uh, I am, that colors my thoughts. It, it, comes out of, it doesn't come to me from the outside. It, it sort of springs up from the inside and flows Outward. That's the way sin works. And when I look into my heart, man, that's where I see the real darkness. So a person says, well, I've never murdered anyone. Well, okay, but have you ever hated anyone intensely? Have you ever fostered and, and gave life to inside your mind bitter and angry thoughts towards somebody and played over and over in your mind the things you'd like to say to them? Have you ever fantasized about violence against somebody that you're really angry at? And at that point, when those things are going on in my heart, how is my heart any different than what's going on inside of a murderer's heart? Do you think that a different kind of thing is going on in someone's heart who actually takes action? It's the same stuff. It's just it's different. You say, you know, I've, I've always been faithful to my spouse. I've never committed adultery. I'm a good person. That's good. But, you know, have you ever coveted someone else's spouse? And if you have, how is what's going on in your heart different from what's going on in the adulterer's heart? I mean, it's, it's the heart where sin lies. And when I look into my heart, man, I see all kinds of yucky things. I see greed, pride, selfish ambition, self-righteousness, self-justification. Um, and even when I do something good, I start getting arrogant about it. I start going, oh, look at me. Hmm. You know, I start thinking those kinds of thoughts. It's like, ah. Oh, I can't, I can't escape myself. I'm trapped in me. It, it's terrible. Or maybe another way to look at it is this. Have I really sought after God with my whole heart? How much hard drive space in my soul has been partitioned for seeking God and passionately desiring God? And how much has been for seeking other things? I mean, I wish I could say 95% is for God, but... Man, if I was real honest, you know, how much of my time do I really spend thinking about God? Wanting Him, wanting to know Him, wanting to glorify Him. You know, I'd hate to see that, to do a diagnostic of the hard drive and see how much space has been partitioned. I'm afraid that the numbers would come up excruciatingly low. 
<clears throat> so if I want to find God, if I want to seek Him, the first step is to forsake. I must forsake evil ways, evil thoughts. I must confess them. I must say, God, I am a, a sinful man. God, I don't want to do that anymore, think that anymore, be that anymore. And this is difficult, but repentance is always what's required. God always calls His people to repentance. That's Old Testament, New Testament. It's how we come to God because the reason we're away from God is because of sin. So if we're going to come close to God, we have to do that heart-purging, soul-searching, hard-drive scan of our souls and say, God, what is it that I've put in front of You? What have I begun to seek instead of You? And then when we find it, man, you've you got to confess it. Um, it's like St. Augustine. He says that when he was first coming to know Christ, he prayed, Oh Lord, save me from my sins, but not right now. <laughs> and then he got a little further down the road and he said, Okay, Lord, save me from my sins, except for one. And then when he was finally came to Christ, he said, All right, Lord, save me from all my sins right now. And that's where God wants to bring us. That's how you come to Christ. You have to reach that point of saying, God, save me from all my sins right now. And, and you know, this isn't just for people who've never come to Jesus. It's not like you forsake sin and then you become a Christian and then you're all set with that and you go on with your life. I, I think that walking with Christ and being a Christian entails a, a daily, regular forsaking of sin. I think one of the, the basic you know, 101 disciplines of being a Christian is daily confession of sin. And it's not because we're trying to be morose or depress people who are always beating ourselves up. It's just that, man, it, there's just so much of it in the world. There's so much of it in the culture. There's so much of it inside of me. The enemy is against me. I'm against me. And I just think to follow Christ, to keep seeking Him, it takes this like daily purging of of sin in our lives and confessing sin. Again, not, not to be this negative, depressed person, but to be free so I can follow Christ. As uh, a guy in our church, uh, some of you know Jack Harvey, he, he told me a great illustration that I, I just stuck with me. He said, following Christ is like trying to drive a boat in a straight line in choppy water. You know, if, if you've ever done that, you know, the, the way you drive a boat in a straight line in choppy water is you either take a compass heading or you pick a waypoint and, and you, don't, you don't look right in front of the boat. You look way down at the waypoint and you drive toward it. And you have to do that because the boat's always... And, and so you're constantly making course corrections along the way. And, and he said, you know, that's a picture of the Christian life. We, we, we have our eyes on Christ. We're focused on Him. But there's so much stuff buffeting us. You know, people and advertisements and our own sins and our own weaknesses and the devil and everything's buffeting us. So being a Christian is not like, well, I'm following Jesus now. You know, take my hands off the wheel. It's, it's now I'm following Jesus. White knuckle, grab the wheel. Constant course corrections. It's constantly forsaking sin and constantly coming back to Christ. And it's a lifelong process. To be a Christian is to constantly be on the battlefield. To follow Christ is to constantly be at war in this life. Is there a day of rest coming? Yep. But right now we're at war 24-7. We're sleeping in the foxholes as Christians. Following Christ is full contact sport. And, and we have to be prepared to, to continually seek Him and forsake sin. Even as Christians who love Jesus and know that we are saved. So if we want to seek God, we have to forsake First of all, the thing we have to do is forsake our evil ways and our evil thoughts continually. <clears throat> and by the way, is there anything that comes to your mind? Even as you're reading that, is the Holy Spirit going, what about that? 
If he is, then just listen to him right now and, and forsake that. Turn away from it. Thank God that he's showing you things in your life, that, in my life, that we need to jettison. But the second part of seeking the Lord is not only do we forsake sin and evil, but we also then turn to God. So we turn away from and we turn to. Look at verse 7 again. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. That's part one. Then here's part two. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. The second part is, is turning to God. And I think that the, the theological concept here that's in the idea of turning is uh, trust and dependency. It's faith. It's what Jesus said. Repent and believe. So to turn toward God is essentially to put our faith in God, to trust God, to bank all of our hope on God instead of on ourselves. And, and that's important because a lot of times once we come to realize sin in our lives, our tendency is to be like, wow, God, thanks for pointing that out. Listen, I'll take care of that. You know, I'm, I'm going to do a New Year's resolution. I'll get back to you. I'll sort this out. And when I've got this figured out, I'll come back to you. No, no, that's not it. It's, it's God... I can't save myself. Lord, I can't rehabilitate myself. Lord, I can't make it up to you. I can't pay you back. And most of all, I can't change my heart. Lord Jesus Christ, your blood shed on the cross can wash away my guilt. Lord Jesus Christ, the power of your blood can change my heart. Oh God, you have to do in me what I can't do for myself. That's what it means to turn toward God, is to put all of our hope not in ourselves or in some kind of renewed religious training program, but in Christ alone to forgive us and to, to give us the power to live a holy life so that it's all of faith from beginning to end. It's got to be like Augustine prayed, Lord, save me from all my sins. Save me now. Or we've got to pray like a, a sinking Peter. Lord, save me. You have to do it in my life and in and through me as I wait upon you and trust in you. I uh, read a, a little anecdote uh, told by Bob Jones. Some of you have heard, remember that famous fundamentalist preacher. And uh, Bob, Bob Jones Sr. was standing by the deathbed of another preacher. And this dying preacher had been a faithful gospel minister for 50 years. And Bob Jones was there by his deathbed with him. And, and the preacher's son came in was kneeling down by his dying father and was trying to comfort his dying father and trying to say words to encourage him. And he said, Dad, you have been a faithful gospel minister for 50 years. He said, Dad, you've done more good than any person I know. And his dad said to him, Oh, son, don't talk about that. He said, Son, tell me again about the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus will do for a dying man. That's it. The longer we follow Christ, the more we realize both the depths of our sin and also the greatness of Christ's sacrifice. Even on his deathbed, this man who'd been a godly servant of the Lord for 50 years knew that it wasn't that track record that he was ultimately going to bring as a resume to heaven, but that he was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. That was his confidence and his hope. And, and you know, I haven't been a preacher for 50 years. I'd love to be someday. I've only been at it now about seven years. So I've got a little ways to go. But, but even in my very brief and very limited experience, 
I found the same thing to be true. That the more I draw close to Jesus, the more I, I experience God's grace growing in my life, the more I realize those two great truths. That I am a great sinner. And Christ is a greater Savior. And I just pray for us that those two truths would ne- we'd never move beyond them, that we'd never get past them, but that they would just go deeper and deeper and sink their roots into our lives so that we learn to live by grace through faith all the time from beginning to end. And when we seek the Lord in this way, when we forsake sin, and when we trust in Christ and put our hope in Him and turn to Him, look what God says He does. Verse 7, Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. God promises, he, he guarantees to pardon and forgive those who turn to him. That's just the greatest news. So in other words, despite the fact of my life track record, as I stand before God, I'm pardoned. I'm free. I'm forgiven. God looks at me and He's pleased with me. He loves me. He's happy with me. He sees in me a righteous, obedient Son. Because I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God looks at me as if I was an obedient Son just like Jesus. And He loves me. He's happy with me. And He'll never let me go. That's the kind of confidence we have. Because those who seek the Lord and forsake sin and trust in Christ can know for certain that they are saved. Salvation is not something that you hope for, wish for. Gee, I think I have it, maybe I don't. You know, when you have it, you have it. And you can know for certain, you can have assurance in this life. That's what verses 9 and 10 are all about. Sorry, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And here's this famous verse. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God's word always comes true. If God says something... He makes good on it. If God prophesies something, He fulfills it. If God promises something, it will be. And we have this confidence, not in ourselves, but in who God is, that whatever God says comes true. And so if God says that He will pardon and have mercy upon those who trust in Christ, then it will be. No question, no doubts, no worries, no exceptions. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think that's important because, you know, as a pastor, I, I, I counsel with different people at different times. And, you know, one of the things that's common in pastoral ministry is you, you counsel with people who are, who are overwhelmed with guilt for things that they've done or failures in their lives. And you, you try to talk to them about God's mercy and grace. And, you know, there's this phrase that people say a lot. And I've just heard it so many times now that, that I think it's good to address it. But this thing that people say when they're wrestling with a sense of guilt is they say, you know, I've just got to learn to forgive myself. I don't know where that phrase came from, but it really irritates me (laughs) because I I don't think it's helpful at all. I mean, how can you forgive yourself? You don't have the authority to. That's like a criminal saying, well, I did this despicable crime, but I think I need to learn to just pardon myself of this crime. 
But you can't. I mean, that's the judge's job to offer the pardon. So, so you know, people kind of go on this, what I think is a hopeless quest to forgive myself. I don't even, this doesn't make sense to me. So when people say that, I just kind of try to gently steer them away from that, that sort of therapeutic concept, which I think is just all wrong-headed. And I say, you know, it's not about trying to forgive yourself. It's about believing God's Word. And if God's Word says that He has forgiven you, then the way to find that sense of internal peace and, and security is by believing what the Word says and trusting that if God says you're pardoned, you're pardoned. And, going, and fighting against those feelings of, of self-hatred and self-loathing, not with some kind of I'm going to forgive myself, but with going back to the Word of God that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. That's how the saints in the past... You read about Christians in the old days. That's how they overcame the crushing sense of guilt. It was because they knew that Christ had forgiven them. And that truth eventually penetrated down and gave them freedom and hope. But not only does it forgive our sins, it changes our lives. To be a Christian who seeks God is a life-transforming experience. And verse 12 is some of the most exalted poetry in Isaiah some of the most exalted imagery. And it's just a beautiful picture of the new life that God calls us to as we seek Him. Verse 12, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's what it's like when we have God's love in our lives and His pardon and His mercy. Seek the Lord. That's what God's calling us to do. And whether you've never become a Christian in your life, and this is the day, because now is the time, not tomorrow, maybe this is the day when you need to seek the Lord for the first time and put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in your own sense of morality, not in your religious whatever, but in Jesus. Maybe this is the day you need to do that. And I would just say to you, seek the Lord. But I think the command is the same for those of us who've been Christians for 10, 20, 50 years. Seek the Lord. Draw closer to God. Let's once again forsake sin and all those things that keep us from God and let our hearts be consumed with a Terminator-like passion, an intensity to find God no matter what and to love Him and to know Him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? In the silence of prayer here, I just would invite you to, just in your own words silently, to, to tell God that you love Him and you want to, to seek Him. And then if there is something or some things in our lives that have clogged up that that communication with God that we need to forsake and repent of that he's put his finger on this morning just take a moment to forsake those sins and ask God to change your heart and then fix your eyes on Jesus Savior. Let your heart be filled up with His joy and His righteousness.
Oh Lord Jesus, I desire to know you. I desire to walk more closely with you. I desire to desire you. God, stir up within me a flame of of zeal and passion and longing for your glory. Help me to be less and less a man who's about Jeremy and more and more a man who's all about Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I pray this for our church, that, that we would not just be a church that's growing numerically or in buildings and programs, but that, Lord, most of all, people in the community would see that we're a people growing in grace and holiness, that we're a people who know the Lord, and that we might then take the love of Jesus to others who are seeking all kinds of things in this life and coming up empty-handed. Be with us now, Lord, as we take communion together. In Christ's name, amen. The praise team, would you come and lead us in a song of preparation?